Sunday night, how are we? No, 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 Sunday night, how are we? I'm so glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, before we start with worship, um, I kind of wanted to share a little bit about my week, um, kind of where I've been at, and just being honest with you guys, I felt like I've been going through the motions the whole week, I've done all the church things, I've read my Bible, and I've spent time in prayer, but it's kind of felt like I'm going through the motions. And I took a moment, I think it was on Wednesday, to kind of readjust my posture, and I was reminded by God's word that it's really not about the things we do, but it's the relationship we have with the Father. So before we sing, I encourage you guys to stand. I'm gonna read a section of scripture over you guys. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. If you feel like it, stand. There you go, there you go. Uh, man, I just love being super awkward. Um, I encourage you guys to close your eyes as I read this over you. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body we be put, will, must put on the imperishable and this mortal body put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Hear this tonight. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in light of that, uh, as I pray, can we adjust our hearts and our posture tonight? That we would convene with the Lord, that we would meet with him here tonight. God, we love you. We thank you in advance for what you're gonna do tonight. Pray that this is gonna be a time for us to sing words and go through motions time and time again, and that we would meet with you, be changed by you, to learn more about you. Sing this tonight.
Jesus, you're Savior. Jesus, you're worthy. Um, Jesus, you're near. Lord, and I pray over this whole room. Lord, I pray that you would help us all see and truly feel that you are all of these things. That Jesus, you're the reason why we sing. You're the reason why we have hope and peace and joy. Um, and God, I pray that you would help us truly feel that and truly believe that. Lord, I pray that you would cure our unbelief in that. Um, and I pray that you would open up all of our hearts in this room um, in order to be taught tonight, God, and to learn. Um, we pray this all in your name, amen. Y'all can take a seat. Y'all, so my name's Austin Kuklinski. I had the pleasure to come here two weeks ago to tell you about a missions conference that we're having. It's called NWA for the Nations, and it's happening here next weekend. So November 6th and 7th, it's this Friday and Saturday. So what a missions conference is, it's a conference where people can come and learn about God's heart for the world. So all throughout scripture, the overarching theme of the Bible is God's desire to see his name known and worshiped, for Jesus' name to be loved and worshiped amongst all peoples, all nations. And there's a lot of people that don't have that opportunity in the world. There, there's people called unreached 
that in the world there's no one to tell them about who Jesus is. So this conference is an amazing opportunity for all of us to learn how we can each play a part in growing to become a world Christian. So this, this conference is awesome. At this conference, you get to learn um, and be, you get to hear from um, speakers and missionaries from all over the world. You get to learn about different cultures and religions, and we get, we get to learn how we can each specifically love them in individual ways, which is amazing. And guys, the overarching theme of this conference is Jesus is worthy. At the end of the day, our desire is for everyone to leave the conference just more in love with Christ. And I have my friend, Hannah Love, right here, and she's gonna tell you about her experience at the conference. Yeah, so I went to NWA for the Nations for the first time my freshman year, and going into NWA for the Nations, I didn't really know a lot about missions or God's heart for the world, but throughout the weekend, wow, God just opened my heart to see his theme throughout all scripture of how he is redeeming all people to himself, and he's actively working. At the conference, I was able to connect with like-minded people, and I was able to learn what I can be doing now as a college student to make disciples of all nations. NWA for the Nations is set up with main sessions and breakout sessions, and so I was able to choose my own breakouts, whether that was business as missions, women in missions, stuff like that, how to be a goer, how to be a sender, and so it was super individualized, so I was able to grow in the areas that I wanted to grow in. I even have a friend who went for the first time last year, and she just went along because a friend invited her, and she didn't know anything really about missions or God's heart for the world, but throughout the conference, God was able to just align her heart with his, and he opened her eyes to see the theme throughout all scripture, and that affected the way that she wanted to live out the rest of her college years, that affected her summer plans, and the way she wanted to have friendships, so going into NWA for Nations, she didn't know anything about missions. She didn't even know really what the conference was about. So with that being said, NWA for Nations can be for any of you. If missions is a scary word and you don't really know what that means or what that looks like, you can totally come to NWA for the Nations and learn a ton. It's so close. It's right down the road in Fayetteville. It's so cheap and you guys get a student discount and your ticket includes lunch, unlimited coffee, and snacks all weekend long, so it's a deal. And there's speakers and global workers coming in from all around the world to teach you guys, and so you'll have tons of access to topics that you guys will wanna learn about. But with all of that being said, I think the most important reason why I want you guys to come to NWA for Nations is because you'll be able to grow in your intimacy with Jesus You'll be able to learn God's heart and what he cares about so that you can align your heart with his. Your relationship with him will just grow to a new depth. So I think that you guys should all come to NWA for Nations this coming weekend. Austin, why should they sign up tonight? See, that is an amazing question. So guys, there's an amazing opportunity. Between now and midnight, if any of you guys in the room sign up for NWA for the Nations, you'll be entered in to win one of three free t-shirts. You heard that right, free t-shirts, exactly like the one I'm wearing. It's berry colored, NWA for the Nations. It fits great, it's comfy. Guys, there's really no reason why you shouldn't sign up. But also, y'all, at the end of the day, as believers, we all need to be playing a part in seeing God's heart and God's name known amongst all peoples. And I truly believe this is an amazing conference for all of us to take that next step in learning how we can all become a world Christian. So y'all, you should sign up. 
And you can sign up, nwafthenations.com. It's right up there. If you have questions, text this number or scan the QR code. That'll take you to our website. But I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to keep on worshiping. Um, Father God, thank you for, God, this day and this night that we can all come together, God, and just grow closer to you. Thank you for this time and space that we can just take a deep breath, God, and just refocus our hearts on you, God, and just set our eyes upon you. I just pray for each of the hearts in this room, God. Would you just open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to hear what you want to teach us today? I pray that you would speak through Josh tonight, God, and just help us learn um, how great it is that we get to look forward to eternity. Um, God, we love you so much, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. I'll stand and sing tonight. Come be
Father, um, thank you so much for this day you've given us, for the space you've given us um, to come and praise you and worship you together. Lord, you are faithful to your promises, um, and you have promised us a place in eternity um, in your kingdom. I pray tonight that we would um, be reminded of that, um, and that out of that hope and peace, um, we would live um, just wanted to share it with others. Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Halloween weekend. I hope y'all had fun yesterday. Whenever we get to this kind of, this time of year, Halloween, I, I start to think about some of my my own fears. I don't know why. Maybe it's Scary movies, haunted houses, costumes. But I think about what do I, what do I fear the most? And this year, I came up with my top two fears, my top two biggest fears. And I hope that y'all will be able to at least relate with me uh, a little bit. So coming in at number two, number two greatest fear right here. No? Nobody relates to me on this one? Guys, this is a little embarrassing. I am terrified, terrified of shiny, bright red doors. Y'all might think I'm kidding, but I'm not. If you have a shiny, bright red door and you ever invite me over to your house, I will not go. I just, I have this, I don't know what it was, and I thought my whole life, like, oh, that's like a very normal thing to be afraid of. You know, everyone's afraid of these shiny, bright red doors, and so I thought, and the more, the more people I kind of ask, they're like, dude, that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, we're not scared of that. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'll prove you wrong. I've got the internet. I will find somebody somewhere that is also afraid of shiny red doors. And so I did the Google search and came up empty, I did, read it, nothing, but wait, Yahoo Answers. That's right, 
the OG Yahoo Answers came in clutch. Look at this. An anonymous writer says, does anyone else have a fear of red doors? Sometimes I'll see a really nice house, but if it has a red door, I freak the out. I just find red doors so scary and unwelcoming. They're so shady. Amen. I agree with this guy. And so anytime you find someone you agree with online, the first thing you do is you go to the comments. You think, man, there's going to be a whole community just welcoming me into this red door fear society. It's going to be amazing. I'll finally have good community for the first time. That's a joke. Uh, and so the only, in nine years, the only person that commented on this, one person in nine years, all they said was, that's quite an unusual fear. I doubt many people share it. Like, why would you comment that on it? And so I, I got to figure out where this guy is, and we need to hang out. But my number one fear, that's number two, my number one fear, and I know, I know you'll relate to me on this one. Here we go. Anybody? You guys, if you know, you know. Some of you know exactly what I'm terrified of in this picture. This is my guest bathroom, by the way. Took a picture of it myself. Anytime I go into a bathroom and the shower curtain is all the way closed, I freak. I mean, seriously, like, I will not do anything until I check for murderers behind the shower curtain. I'm serious. I will not. Do you get it? Yes. Okay, I'm finally seeing some head nods in the audience. You guys get it. Like, I, I, will, I will check real quick and then do whatever I need to do. I will not. Sometimes I'll try and be brave to and be like, no, I can brush my teeth like this. I got this. And like five seconds in, I'm like, I have to check if there's a murderer behind this shower curtain. Because there might be. I don't know. I'm not telling you there isn't. I don't want to give you false hope. <laughs> anyway, as I was diving clearly deep into my soul with these fears, I re realized that most of the fears we have have a, have a deeper fear. What I was finding online is that most people are afraid of snakes and spiders and the dark and heights, which I'm afraid of as well. Don't worry. But the, the root of some of those fears, and most of those fears, I'd say, is the fear of death. That what we're actually afraid of is death itself. When we say we're afraid of snakes or spiders, we're actually more afraid that they'll be poisonous and they'll bite us and we'll die. Or if we say we're afraid of the dark, a lot of times we're afraid that, like, some, someone or something is kind of hiding out and they're going to kill us. Or if we're afraid of heights or maybe we're afraid that we're going to fall off a cliff or a building and die. Or for me in the bathroom, that someone is going to sneak behind that curtain and kill me and I'll die. And so today, we, we come to a really interesting passage in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is addressing this fear of death. And he's saying that Christians should think differently 
about death than anybody else. And so if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to be in 13 to 18 tonight. Verse 13, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Paul is saying that Christians should grieve differently. In fact, they should grieve as those who have hope. And so maybe it's, maybe it's your first time tonight here, or maybe you just kind of forgot, but I think it would be helpful to get a little context here. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Him, Timothy, and Silas were there for a couple weeks. They, they shared the gospel. They shared their lives, and, and Christians accepted the gospel. They accepted this gospel and started following Christ. And then because of extreme persecution, they, they, had, to be, they had to run out and leave the city. And so Paul sends Timothy to check in, hey, how are they doing? And, and Timothy comes back with this report, and now Paul is writing to the Thessalonians based on what Timothy had told him. And so clearly one of the things that Timothy has shared with Paul is, hey, you need to talk to them about Christians who die. Clearly they don't have an understanding of what happens to Christians who die, or they don't know exactly what that looks like, or they don't know what the resurrection looks like. And so Paul is writing this passage specifically to the church in Thessalonica who probably just had brothers or sisters or friends in the faith who died. And I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that they might have died brutal deaths because of their faith. Because Paul was just hanging out with these guys like a month before this, two months before this, and yet some of the people he was with have now died. And so Paul, Paul is saying, we do not want you to be uninformed, but we want you to, to grieve like those who have hope. Notice two things there. One, he's not saying Hey, Christians should not grieve. Hey, you're a Christian? Well, like, suck it up. Don't cry. Don't be a baby. He's saying, no, you should grieve. You should mourn. You should weep when people die. Jesus did that with Lazarus. But there's a difference. We do all those things with hope. And so I think a normal question would be, Okay, what is this hope? How do we have a hope? And so he says in verse 14, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I want you to narrow in on those two words, through Jesus, or to say it a different way, in Christ. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard, heard that a lot. We sing in Christ alone. But if you really were to try and find the depths of what it means to be in Christ, what it means 
as a Christian to be in Christ. What Paul is saying here is the reason we have hope in two words is through Jesus or in Christ. And he says, because Jesus, in his first coming to the earth, died and rose again, he conquered death and sin. And so if you are in Christ, that means that Christ's death is your death. He died the death that you were supposed to die. But that also means that his resurrection is your resurrection. That's what it means to be in Christ. So the reason that we have this hope, the reason this hope is secured for those in this room who believe, who have faith, is because Jesus secured it when he raised from the dead. Another thing I want you to look at in this verse is that he mentions this in verse 13 and now in verse 14. He says about those who have died, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about about those who have fallen asleep. And here he says, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, I don't think that Paul's dumb. I don't think that Paul is naive. I don't think that he's trying to convince himself, oh, they're not dead, they're just sleeping. I think he's trying to paint this picture that we would all benefit if we could understand this. And in fact, it's the same picture that Jesus painted. One, first, when he, was, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, who was dead for four days, by the way, he said, oh, he's just asleep. He, don't worry, he's just sleeping. And here, when this ruler comes to him, in Matthew 9, he says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And look at their reaction. They laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Do you see what's happening here? There was a legitimate funeral that was taking place, and Jesus walks in and says, oh, no. She's just sleeping, and they mock him. But then he touches her hand, and she raises from the dead. So Paul is using the same illustration of falling asleep, and here's why, at least what I think. I think the picture that Paul is trying to paint is that for God to raise someone from the dead is as easy as for one of us to wake someone up from a nap. That God is so powerful and so in control that for him to just raise someone from the dead, they might as well just be asleep and he might as well just be waking them up from a nap. That death has absolutely no authority over God. In fact, it's the opposite. God is the one who decides 
who dies, who lives, and ultimately who's raised from the dead. And so this is the hope that Jesus has secured for us. In his first coming, he secured this hope by his death on the cross, being raised from the dead, and ascending into heaven. And if we are in Christ, we get to share with him in that death and that resurrection. But if we keep reading in verse 16, he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That makes sense, right? Y'all don't need any unpacking of this. He's just saying that Jesus is coming back, there's a trumpet, a loud cry, those people that have been buried for 2,000 years, yeah, they're gonna rise up, they're gonna kind of float into the clouds, meet Jesus, and then anyone who's still living will kind of float up and, and meet Jesus, and then they'll just kind of hang out. Does that make sense? See, when I was, when I was working on this passage, I thought, I was like, I know there's people in the, in the audience tonight. I know there's people here that, that maybe have just been waiting for this moment. When they heard, oh, they're doing First Thessalonians, they're gonna talk about the rapture. I can't wait. And so I was like, okay, I'm ready for that person. I'm gonna dive, dive into all the commentaries. I'm gonna read up on pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all, all these things, and I'm gonna be ready. And yet after spending hours and hours looking into this, I was hit with a ton of bricks that I had been spending so much time deep in the details and the weeds that I had completely lost sight of the big picture. Here's what I mean. Right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, here's what I mean. So yesterday, I took this picture yesterday. This whole talk is sponsored by iPhone, by the way. All these were shot on my iPhone. So new iPhone 12 is coming out. Uh, this I took yesterday at Crystal Bridges. Please, please don't at me for taking photos there. I know I, know I wasn't supposed to. But one of the exhibits, they had this huge wall. Like it was probably the size of this stage, this huge wall. And it was just a bunch of spools of thread all over the wall, different colors, different patterns. And I was, I was just walking around. I was looking. I was like, man, that's so cool. And I thought, this is really cool, abstract art. I don't know what it means. I don't really get the point. But man, someone paid a lot of money and spent a lot of time. And this thing is, is pretty cool. I mean, it covered this whole wall. And then I realized that the artist didn't want you to be up close and see the details in the weeds. In fact, the artist wanted you to step back and to get perspective and to see the big picture. And when you looked at it through a certain lens, it made sense. This is what 
all those spools of thread had created. He had recreated the famous painting of the Lord's Supper, and it was upside down, probably with thousands and thousands of spools of thread. And when you took a step back and you looked at it through this special, like, magic ball, like, I don't even know, crystal ball, you saw, you saw the Lord's Supper, and it was beautiful. It was probably the coolest exhibit that they had there. And in the same way, we can get so caught up in these tiny little details of times and dates and the timeline of when Jesus comes and what that's going to look like that we lose sight of the main point. That Jesus is coming back for his bride. That the hope that he secured in his first coming, that he was finishing the job, and he was once and for all going to defeat death and sin and would bring with him those who believe, those who are in Christ. That's the beauty of this passage It's not the details, it's not when or where or why, but it's that the creator of the universe cares about you enough to come not only once to secure your hope, but again to finish the job and to bring you and me with him. And so I believe that if we have a proper view, a healthy view, a right view of death, it will affect the way that we live. Isaiah already read this, but I want to read this one part of 1 Corinthians 15 again. Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see this? He talks about this this victory that Jesus has secured for you over death and sin. And how does he follow it up? Therefore, because of this, now that you know this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The way that we view death affects the way that we live. And the more hope that we have in death makes us more faithful in the way that we live. So if we can be hopeful in death, we should be faithful in life. And so I'm not sure if you picked up on this, but there's, Paul is doing another really cool thing. He says, 
two different times when he's talking about the Lord's coming back and the Lord will raise up those who have already died. And then he says twice, we who are alive, we who are left. You see this? He says, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him. And I think what's so cool is that Paul, and you could say this about some of the other apostles as well, genuinely believed that the Lord was coming back in their lifetime. In fact, they believed that the Lord could come back any day, that it could be today, tomorrow, or the next day, but that they were ready. Can you imagine what that would look like if we lived like that? Personally, the more I've thought about it, I am so glad that God does not tell us when he's coming back, that we don't know times or dates, that Jesus says, hey, when I return, it's gonna be like a thief in the night. Nobody is gonna know. It's just gonna be here. And I think that is so wise. And I'm so thankful because, because I know my own sinful flesh. And I was always the guy in college that would wait till the last minute to do anything important. If I had a paper that was due at midnight, I would think to myself, how long realistically is this paper gonna take me? And then I would just count back from midnight. Same for tests. I would only study the bare minimum, maybe even wake up that morning and just study I was a king procrastinator. And when I think about my own heart, and when I think about the people in this room, I think if we knew the time and the date, we would at least be tempted to do the same thing. You see, when I was in college, freshman year of college, I was all about knowing when my parents we're coming home. And just so you get the full effect, this is what Josh looked like as a freshman in college. Y'all ready for this? I mean, come on. That's some good stuff right there. Here's one more. Just This is for free. This is me freshman year of college. And if you can really look closely, look at my left ear really closely. That is not a fly on the screen. I pierced my ears, and it looked incredible. It looked so good. So I'm going to leave this up here while I tell the story so you can kind of understand college Josh, because college Josh is a lot different than today Josh. And so when I was in college, freshman year, whether it was winter break or summer break, we had this group of friends, and we were trying to get into as much trouble as possible. And we would wait. Like, we would look forward to weekends or weeks that our parents would go out of town. And whenever one of us had, had our parents go out of town, we would be like, okay, it's go time. And we'd all go to their house and throw parties, uh, drink, all, just anything, all the debauchery you could imagine. 
but we'd always know when they were coming back. And so whether the night before or the morning of the parents' return, we would clean everything. It would be spotless. We would take bottles, caps, everything, and just take it like to dumpsters miles away so they could never find out. And they'd come back and be like, wow, the place looks amazing. Thanks so much. And they were completely unaware of our debauchery. And I know so many people in this room who have this same mindset. When you're challenged about actually living out your faith, the response I get is, hey, man, I'm just a freshman in college. Come on, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live it up. This is my time to live it up. Like, I'll take all that stuff seriously down the road when I graduate or when I get a job or when I get married or when I have kids. Like, I'll have, then I'll take, I'll take my faith seriously. And yet, we have no idea when Jesus is coming. It could be tonight. So what would your life look like if you truly lived every single day as if Jesus was coming back that night? What would your conversations look like? What would your priorities look like? What would your relationships look like? What would be the things that you're thinking of? And how would that change? Because the way that we view death affects the way that we live. And the way that we view Jesus' return affects the way that we live. And so I'm going to close with this. This is verse 18. Paul says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, he ends this passage by saying, this should be encouraging. I'm not here tonight to give you a hard time. I'm not here tonight to tell you that you're, you're failing I'm here tonight to present you something so much sweeter than the things that you are pursuing right now. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to fear these things anymore. And that the sweetest part about heaven is that you get to be with Jesus forever. That we will be with the Lord forever. And the worst part about hell is that God is nowhere to be found, which means his gifts are nowhere to be found. Samuel Rutherford says it like this. He says, oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me. For thou art all the heaven I want. Do you believe this? I want you to see tonight how sweet Jesus is. That what it means to be a Christian is that we are in Christ. That everything we have for life and godliness 
is because of Jesus. That in his presence, there are, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get to be with Christ forever. And so I want you to be encouraged tonight, fellowship. I want you to be encouraged tonight that we don't have to grieve like everybody else because we have a hope. And that hope is that we get to be with Christ forever. And that hope was secured by Christ himself. And that hope will be assured when Christ comes back. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Lord, we know that when that trumpet sounds and you come back, we pray that in you, we will be found. Dressed in your righteousness alone, that we would faultless stand before your throne. Yeah.
Sing these familiar words to me. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases, my comforter, my all in all, here in love of Our home. No power. 